Welcome into Locked On Knicks. We are continuing our episode, three-part episode, I should say, breaking down the top Knicks under the age of 25 after, of course, a couple of prominent publications left all Knicks off their list of 25. Gavin, we got through our one and two in the last episode. Who are we getting into in this episode? This one is about our consensus number three we are all in on Obi Toppin. We talk about Obi's brilliance. Dallas has a very interesting comparison for Obi Toppin. And then we finish up with Dallas's case for why a certain, I'm not even going to cover it, why Jericho Sims, of all people, is his number four. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Locked on Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're tuning in, you know, on your favorite podcast app or you're checking us out on YouTube where you can see our beautiful smiling faces every day. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks Site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And as we said, we are joined by Dallas Amico of the Strickland, one of the fantastic writers and and also just personalities on Twitter, does awesome film work and everything for us over there. And Dallas also is a a big aficionado of the young players on this team. So we're going to get into our discussion right now. Let's not hold it up any further. Anywho, we should move on to some of these other players that are on the team. So moving forward on our list here, uh, Dallas, I, I had, would have to look at yours again. I'm fairly certain both Gavin and I both I think had, we're, all, we're, all, we're all in agreement on Obi Toppin. I'm yeah, I think sure. Obi Toppin is universally number three. And, and I think that that's there will be a lot less debate on this <laughs> than some of the other guys. Um, but I think, I, I mean, if I'll just do the opening salvo and then maybe throw it over to you, Gavin, here, I... You know, like I just said, I think Obi, especially as we've seen, you know, with his scoring explosions late in the season, maybe there is a little more something to him than what we were seeing in limited minutes. Maybe he is more of a rhythm player that needs, you know, the freedom to not be looking over his shoulder and overanalyzing things while he's on the court. And then maybe he can make some threes at a better clip. And that fundamentally turns him into like, a potential, I won't say three-level score, but like a, a two-level score. You know, that turns him into a guy that can shoot the three and can get to the rim and be incredibly effective there because some of the, the acrobatics that he pulls off around the rim are just beyond anything that I've seen from anyone, particularly on the Knicks in a while. The Knicks lack vertical athletes a lot, particularly ones that know how to control themselves. And Toppin is exactly that. Like the move that he practically made, it, it should almost be called like the Toppin at this point, where he 
is coming from whatever direction he happens to be coming in. But I felt like usually baseline is coming baseline. Defender closes on him. He leaps into the air and then has the ball out as if he's going to go up for a dunk, yanks it down, and then has so much time in the air that he can basically like duck his whole body under the person's arm, bring the ball back up, and then bring it up for a dunk. And it's not stuff that we've seen anybody on the Knicks be able to really pull off in ever. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't think of the last – you might literally have to go back to someone like a Latrell Sprewell or something like that, for which, ironically, one of Obi's like idols apparently growing up. But for someone that had that level of athleticism that could pull that sort of stuff off, because even – Amari Stoudemire, by the time he hit the Knicks, was not nearly that athlete anymore. Um, so there's this outline of a potential dominant, you know, offensive force that, especially if you had a coach that would run more pick and roll with him, with a guy like Quickly or with a guy like Barrett, for example, both of whom have shown that they are really good at reading, you know, for lobs and everything. I mean, Obi might, if if he ends up becoming the starter next year might be a guy that flirts with a 20 point per game season uh, just by virtue of the fact that if the three pointer starts falling at like a 35% rate for him, that, that changes everything. Um, So I I won't get into the defense and everything yet. Although I think that he's been much better than we ever would have expected when we were skeptically trying to talk ourselves into him on draft night a couple years ago. But Gavin, where are you at? Like on OB as far as uh, I got, it's crazy to think it wasn't even a couple years ago. It was like a year and a half ago that we were talking about OB on draft night. COVID yeah. but anyway Gavin where are you at on Obi you know our, our consensus number three that we can all just kind of shake hands and agree on here and make good points about why he's so awesome I'm happy we're all on the same page guys it feels great um but yeah I I think the, the big thing to me with Obi and I I, I don't know I'm, I'm interested Dallas if, if it was for you for me like I did I put some time between him and Quentin Grimes for the third spot because I think um Alex I know there was there was like one episode we did this year like is Quentin Grimes just flat out the Knicks best young prospect like that's how well he was playing like like the 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 three-point rate and the accuracy that he was displaying is just I mean rare for anyone in the NBA particularly exceptionally rare for a rookie um the defense that he showed like some of the instincts he has as a passer like the moments of like off the dribble breakdown ability and and for a moment I was like sitting there I was like all right did we forget like how good this dude is at three years younger than Obi Toppin. And I would, part of me still thinks he might have the higher floor than Obi Toppin because I, I just think he's going to be in the NBA for 12 to 14 years, unless something goes horrifically wrong or it was like a real misevaluation we have on him. But the flashes from Obi the last few weeks, obviously, particularly the last couple of games, uh, just just too much to ignore, right? I mean, the guy's averaging, like I can pull it up right now, but he was at, um, buoyed, obviously, by two monster games at the end of the season. But on the year as a starter, 20 points, seven rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block, 57% from the field, 44% from three, 82% from the line. That's just, it's hard to ignore that production. And to me, it was it was a combination of him doubling down on the things that already made him good, which were which was sort of like the secondary offense, right? The ability to run the floor, the ability, I mean, off of running the floor, not just to get dunks, but to get early seals and to, to keep the ball high and finish high off those seals to score off of back cuts. Um, a, a newfound ability to, to make open three-pointers occasionally. Like whenever he got to work as a roller, he's fantastic in that capacity. But the biggest thing was like, and this was this was what terrified me about Obi as a rookie, like where he would try to back down Duncan Robinson and get stood up. And, and, and now like the self-creation is just in a completely different place. Like you're seeing a guy who can pump against a closeout, has a great first step, and then can put together, like like I remember on LaMarcus Aldridge, like he just dropped like a nasty Euro step on him and finished at the rim. And then in that um, final game of the season against the Raptors, he's like throwing like inside spin moves into like double pump plays. And we know he's he's this amazing elite finisher. And I think 
by some people, myself included, that's gotten underrated in the past just because of his age. Like people discount that he just has this obviously elite skill and it wasn't just an elite college skill. It was an absolutely elite NBA skill. They're just to Alex's point, like the movie you were referencing, his ability to do like a hop, skip and a jump into that. Like there's 15 guys on earth, 20 guys on earth with that kind of athletic ability. So I, I think given that special quality, and that we've seen like more than like it used to be like the fake dribble handoff to the rim or, or nothing that like he's diversified his package a little bit. And he just feels like the kind of guy who's going to put in the time to continue to add stuff off the dribble. Um, I think there's a higher ceiling and more room for him to grow in terms of his consistency than you would typically say from a 24 year old, especially just because, as we all know, unfortunately, he didn't get the opportunity this year for the most part. But Dallas, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I, I know you're on the same page as us, but why are you on the same page as us? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I'll say, you were just pointing out his elite finishing at the rim. Um, if I could tie it back to, so Alex, you made this reference to Zion Williamson. Um, I sort of think this, the argument you were making there applies more to Obi than it does to RJ. Um, because Obi was like just finishing at the rim at a high level, right? Like no matter when you put him in for any number of minutes, it's like, oh my God, absurd amount of scoring and absurd efficiency, right? Uh, where like with RJ, you have like the scoring volume, but you don't have the efficiency volume. Like, but with Obi, it's like, it doesn't matter when you put him in for how long, whatever, just like at the rim, constantly scoring a ton. Now, I don't think he's going to be Zion Williamson or anything like that. <laughs> but um, my sort of, my sort of actually comp for Obi um, is like, and I, I don't know if I would say this is a ceiling comp, but uh, it's, it's one some people have like reacted weirdly to because athletically they're very different. But I think in what they do for their teams, I think it's a good or what they used to do for their team and currently do for their team. Um, I think there's something there. Um, I think if you take Boris Diaw and you, instead of having him be an awesome shooter, make him this elite rim finisher, you have sort of a similar player where like Boris Diaw was a great passer, but he wasn't like the initiator. But he just made all these awesome passes within the offense. He was a great screener, and he just had an incredible feel, right? Like, um, when you think about, like, those classic machine Spurs teams, right? Boris Diaw is, like, the pinnacle of that kind of style of play. And he didn't just do it for the Spurs. He did it for the Suns, too, right? Two elite offenses he spent time in being incredible um, as this guy who even when he wasn't putting up flashy numbers, just made everything work by cutting much slower than Obi does, but just like finding right. Like the right, the right spots on the court, right. And taking the right angles and setting the right screens and making the right reads and making them quickly when he had the ball, right. Just nothing stuck. Nothing was slow. Nothing stopped. Ball was moving and he found the open man and he cut and screened and always in the right place. And he just made his team way better with his immense intelligence um and i think obi sort of has that now he's not as good as a shooter as boris was boris was an awesome shooter um but i think he's obviously a way better uh you know uh, around the rim sort of athlete and finisher um and so i like that as a kind of comp and that's a guy who boris Dio played legitimate nba finals minutes and was a you know contributors to deep playoff teams um like highly valuable contributors so like um, I don't know that I really see like superstar with Obi, um, but that's a pretty awesome player. If you have a guy who can stay on the court in like NBA final situations. And I really think that's not a, I mean, there's weird athleticism differences, right? They're very different bodies and very different ways of moving around the court. Um, but like, I think like 
that's a sort of comp where you could see Obi being that kind of guy. Um, and also Boris, you know, uh, similar defense, I think, strengths and weaknesses uh, as Obi. Where like Boris was actually a pretty solid defender, but he wasn't like he couldn't like stay with everybody, and he like had some weird lateral movement stuff, especially later in his career, right? Um, uh, you know, Obi's a little top heavy. He's got like his footwork's not always great, but like the the heart, the hustle, and then the smarts, right? Where they're just always sort of doing the right thing, um, even if it's not perfectly. Um, that like you you live with it and it uh, ends up being like a, a decent cog in the wheel. Um, yeah, I think I think Boris sort of had that, and I think maybe Obi sort of reflects that. I don't know. What do you guys think about that kind of crazy cop? All right, we'll be back in just a sec with more hot takes on Obi Toppin. But if Obi wants to get, he seems like a pretty healthy guy, Alex. But if he wants to get even healthier this off season, there's only one thing I could recommend to him or anyone else, and that is of course our athletic greens it's a product i use literally every day i started using uh ag1 specifically um because i wanted to be a little bit healthier and i'm someone who's very health conscious in general but i needed an easier way to do it because i was just buying too many different supplements i was like trying to make sure i had like 10 cups of spinach every day which is just torture um and i was like you know what why freak out about it when i could just throw a scoop of this delicious green powder in, in my water or my smoothie and uh, call it a day from there. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, all the things you need to lead a happier life. Um, I like to take it right before I do a workout. I find like it, it fuels me a little bit, but also kind of calms me down. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs, there's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes so, so good. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. And they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutritional option. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. That is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And tell you what, if Obi Toppin also wants to bulk up this offseason, which, you know, he's pretty well built, but, you know, maybe he needs he needs a little help in that department, he should check out some Built Bars. That's certainly what I have all the time. And this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. They are the best tasting protein bars on the market. And if you haven't tried them yet, you should definitely check out Built Puffs. They're some of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors, including yummy cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. They're all so good. They're going to be your new favorite because Built Puffs are a protein-infused marshmallow covered in chocolate. I don't know how to sell it to you better than that, so I'm not even going to bother trying to upstage that with anything. Uh, but all Built Bars are good for you. They contain just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, and a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. If you combine that, compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs, blows everything out of the water as far as actual candy bars 
and gives you a, the same amount of protein as most of those other bars without tasting like a shoe. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. I actually think it's kind of funny because you mentioned you know, different body types, whatever. The, the, the cruel irony of that is that Boris Diaw turned into that player once he lost the Obi Toppin body type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once that's, Boris true, the, that's true. Once Boris Diaw got older and, and put on some more bulk, he actually uh, became the more effective player, oddly enough, even though he came into the league as like a lanky shooting guard. Uh, there was there was like a lanky oversized shooting guard, I guess, I guess you could say. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I agree in the type of impact that they can have. I think they obviously play very different, but I don't know. I think that there's I, I still, you know, I guess it depends on how you value someone, someone like this. Right. But I still think that there is, you know, there, there was a lot of pre-draft uh, comps of Obi Toppin to like John Collins, for example, and. I don't know if I would fully throw those comps out there on offense yeah, or throw them away on offense. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do think that there's a chance that he could be that. And I, I would actually argue that he's maybe even less dependent on a Trey Young type distributor than that. Like, just because of the, the uh, ability that he has to attack closeouts and like the sort of thing where, you know, there's so many times where the Knicks just sort of get him going and it's like, Almost, I, I don't know how to describe it. Dallas, you probably know the technical term for this because you're more of an X's and O's guy, but where they sort of get Obi moving along the perimeter and then, you know, they, they get some sort of some sort of screen and, and, you know, set up for him on the perimeter so that he can just attack that and just, you know, use that speed and quickness and long strides to just sort of work around that and get right to the rim. Um, you know, if it's not a closeout situation, but one where they're just trying to do like a quick dribble handoff to him kind of thing. He's so good at, at making that happen um, that, I, you know, I don't – again, because of age and and all kinds of other stuff, I'm you know, I'm not totally sure how confident I am that he can turn into every night 20-point-per-game guy. But I think that his development curve is also really weird in the sense that he's taken like a very circuitous path to eventually ending up in the NBA where he, he came out as – Technically speaking, a, a sophomore. I He's believe. a yeah, redshirt sophomore. Yeah. yeah, came out technically as a redshirt sophomore at 23 years old into the NBA draft. So, like, you know, he he played high school, then had to really grind through like community college and stuff to, you know, j- junior college to get his way up to the D1 level, and then even had to redshirt there before he was able to, you know, put string together two seasons and in just those two. D1 collegiate seasons worked his way up to collegiate player of the year and a, and a really dynamic player, you know, scoring the ball and everything else. And so I don't know, it makes it hard for me to put too much of a, a cap on him based off age and stuff. I'm not saying that's what you were doing Dallas, but that's like a general thing that's held against him is like, well, he's already going to be like, I mean, I think by next season, he'll be like 25 already. Uh, so pretty old i think he i think he doesn't turn 25 until next march but maybe i'm way off on that but yeah he was like i i, I just looked it up and he was younger than i thought he was which was a pleasant i was oh, like okay. is, he, is he 30 yet yeah <laughs> i still have yeah, this no, pet- no, he, yeah he turns 25 next march 4th next oh, okay i still have this pet theory that he's secretly like 42 years old because what kid <laughs> that was born when he was supposedly born wears Sprewell jerseys still when they're like <laughs> eight years old but you know i guess that's the new york in him um and maybe a gift from his dad back in the day but um yeah, I don't. I, 
I, I guess my my overarching point is just I I could still see more so than just a role player out of him. I could still see the faint outline of a of a star eventually. You know, on that same level of like a John Collins, where like I, I struggle to call John Collins a legitimate star. Like I don't know that he'll ever make an All Star team. That sort of thing, but could be like an eighteen point per game score, which I don't so- think Yao ever was. I don't know if well I don't know if I, so I don't know if I'm gonna convince you to put rank Obi think of Obi more highly or think of him lower, <laughs> but I think I think uh, John he's well I think his offensive ceiling is way higher than John Collins mm-hmm. I don't I John like you watch John Collins play a lot um, I watched him a little too much when I watched I watched film for the mm-hmm. I think maybe the last time I was on here when I was watching for the the playoff series against yeah. the Hawks um, I watched a ton of Hawks film he doesn't. I don't think of John Collins as somebody who makes his team better, right? He sets reasonable screens and he's a good finisher. He's not like making other players really better. He's just finishing off what they've done. And there's, I mean, it's a skill to be able to do that, but like Obi can do that, but legitimately makes other guys better and is like an intuitive, smart cutter, an intuitive, smart screener, mover without the ball. Easily. Passer. Yeah. John Mm -hmm. Collins doesn't have that stuff, right? Like, that's not so I actually I think Boris Diaw is way better than John Collins. Uh not even close. Like I don't think I guess it would be like I guess my thought is more that it would be like like a hybrid John, between John, the two. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like I don't Collins, I, Yeah, go ahead. Can you imagine ahead. him on the on like in the court in the NBA finals? Like he's no. not gonna survive. He's no. not gonna survive. Um, and, and, not on, and, yeah. and like what unless like yeah, unless he's like just the worst if he's the worst player on the court, maybe. Mm-hmm. But like Boris Diaw was like a legitimate contributor to a championship mm-hmm. team. And I think, like, offensively, um, in the way they make teams better, that's, like, what Obi has. And Collins just, to me, doesn't have that. Now, I, I get the connection with, like, the finishing ability. And I say, mm-hmm. yeah, I think probably Obi is – he's maybe a, just a little below maybe where John Collins is. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, everything else is infinitely above. Just, like, yeah. reading the game and his, like, vision and his passing ability and his smarts about, like, what's going on on the court and his – just feel for the game, just yeah. radically different, I think. All right, guys, we're going to come back one final time where Dallas makes an impassioned case for Jericho Sims as the next man up on our Knicks Young Players rankings. Um, but if you want to bet on who's going to be mine and Alex's number four, I don't know if these they have these odds up yet, but they have pretty much everything else. It's betonline.net. They're your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. I know that I'm hitting them up a lot of late uh, for the top NBA odds. And one odd that I like, or one line I should say that I like for Tuesday, is the Philadelphia 76ers as seven-point favorites over the Toronto Raptors. I am hammering that. Look, the Raptors are a resilient team, championship DNA, whatever. They're missing three of their six most important players in all likelihood uh, for this game, too. Philly dominated them in game one. They have all the momentum. I, I think the Sixers beat them in another route. I think that's free money that you can go take at betonline.net. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts i guess to clarify my position i would think more like a hybrid between the two where it's like i like your comp of boris Diaw for like the little things yeah but i think that or obi's potential as a scorer is much higher um just based off what he's shown so far so that that's sort of where i'm at like so i guess yeah i should have clarified that a little bit while i was saying that but 
more like an you. offensive skill set and ability to put up like 20 points a game. Like, I don't know that Dio ever really had that potential in his career. Um, where, because I don't know what his career high was. It had to have been around like 10 points per game or something. Um, uh, I think it's higher than that, but let's look. I'm going to look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what the I'll, internet's for. But. I'll throw out there quickly. I think what's, what's so interesting about the Boris Dio comp that I think is true for OB2 is like, it, it's so clear that the synergy between him, I, him and IQ, like it's not like a one plus one equals two situation. It's like a one plus one equals like 15 situation a lot of the time and that was that was sort of the whole trick with dia right like it was he had such good basketball fate to find the suns and to find the spurs because if he had languished on charlotte his whole career i don't think he's someone we'd we'd ever bring up in any context like we, we would have forgotten that he existed by now and i think to me that's that's a lot of it with obi is that as much as i'm talking about him improving as a one-on-one guy i think his value is always contingent on other dudes on the floor. Like whether like in, in, in if you want to say in a John's Collins sense, it would be like, if he was playing with the Trey young, he'd be getting all these rim run dunks, like game after game after game, if, if they were using him the right way, but playing with an IQ sense, it, it unlocks all these different elements of his game. And I think a player's feel is um, ex- exacerbated by like the feel of other guys on the court. So IQ's genius props of Obi's genius and Obi's genius props of IQ's genius. And we pointed out those plays like last couple of games, like that beautiful give and go they had that eventually led to like a kick <laughs> to the corner for an RJ three like that to me, like I, I said, like that looked like the 2013, 2014 Spurs for that one moment. And they have those, those little like, uh, like ESP connections that are just, just make for gorgeous basketball. And what, what has me optimistic about the Knicks and maybe we can, we can transition to the next guy is, Someone like Quentin Grimes, I think, also has that sense within him. And I think you you compile enough of those dudes, you, you get you get something that's greater than the sum of its parts. But Dallas, I'll, I'll throw that to you. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. Um, I'm trying to look I, the list I sent. Um, I did not have Quentin Grimes next. Oh, okay. Uh, Who did you have? So, so I made a crazy move, a crazy move. <laughs> yeah. Um, that I think ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so I will admit, so I think basically, so I had my tier one and it was clearly RJ, or I mean, IQ and RJ clearly. Ah, the one. truth comes out, RJ. Ah, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. We all, we all like him. <laughs> For but those then, listening on podcast form, this man is wearing an RJ Barrett hoodie. And, I <laughs> am wearing an RJ Barrett hoodie. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, anyway, sorry. I, I love yeah. RJ. I love yeah, him. I, and I think he's. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge RJ fan. Just I th- think IQ maybe is going to be a little bit better. Um, <laughs> I also think RJ is going to be awesome. Anyways, okay, so I think, so I had a tier, that was tier one, and in tier two, these are the guys I had. Um, OB, Sims, Grimes, and Mitch, right? Um, and I think there's a lot of, like, um, uh, room for reasonable disagreement here. Um, I can, like, I find it harder to get into the mindset where I can, like, I think, Alex, you did a nice job defending RJ. Um, but I, like, on my own before this, I found it harder to get into that mindset where I could really put RJ above IQ. But with these four, I can even get putting Mitch closer, like, second, right? Um, I can I can understand having an argument for basically any of, um, almost any ordering of these four, Maybe OB is pretty clearly the first one, I think, but I, the re- the other three, pretty much any ordering. Okay, so I put Sims um, as the next guy. So here's uh, the argument. Um, let's do uh, let's do a big picture argument first, 
and then we'll work our way down. Here's a weird hypothesis I have. Um, I think right now the NBA, um, and for the last like 10 years, has really valued 3 and D wings, right, um, in various forms. Um, I wonder, and I'm wondering, if there's going to be relative, and, and they've also devalued um, bigs, right? So I'm wondering if relative to how they've been valued, bigs are going to become more valuable as things go forward. So the basic idea is this. Look, bigs have always been incredibly important for team defense, right? Um, everybody sort of knows this. They're like the most important defensive player on the, on the court. Um, maybe it's not clear that they should have been devalued in the first place, but, uh, you know, if you can get a good defender for, for cheap, might as well do it, right? Um, but uh, mostly people have argued that they're the most uh, important defender because they affect the most shots. And usually those are via um, pick-and-roll defense, right? Or off-ball help defense, where they're the rim protected, the last line of defense, as people say. But here's a change that's happened in the NBA lately. So you look a few years ago, and almost all of the best players in the NBA, like the really cream of the crop players, were wings, right? Outside of maybe Steph Curry. But like the real, real like movers, right, were wings. You have um, LeBron James, and you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, so on and so forth, right? Um, big wing initiators were like the dream. Um, uh, and as a result, you really needed a bunch of versatile guys who you could throw at them, especially in playoff series, right? You needed Iguodala to be able to put on LeBron, or you needed right uh, just a whole range of guys who could switch on to these guys um, and try to affect them in various ways if you were going to make it in the playoffs. What's changed over the last several years is that the current crop of stars are not wings, right? Um, who's the best wing in the NBA right now? Maybe you say Luka? Yeah, I was going to say Luka. Luka, Tatum, Luka? or LeBron, maybe? Yeah, like, or... I think it's pretty... Yeah. I think it's Luka, but what's Luka? Maybe the fourth... Would you, would, you, would, you, would you not consider KD a wing? Would you put him in his own category? Yeah, yeah he's like not, a not to get wing big, but yeah. hybrid. Yeah, sure. yeah, no, okay, right. so you could put... Maybe you put KD, but... Yeah, KD, but I, I would say Luka Luke and LeBron for the quote-unquote big initiator. Like that. Good. You know, yeah. And and LeBron, I think, is on his way out. And I think KD's on his way out, too, right? Yeah. Like, what do you have? Another year, maybe two, of KD being like this? Um, realistically... Um, so, but what's the future? Like, who are the current best players in the NBA? Who are the three vote up for MVP? It's Giannis, it's Jokic, and it's Embiid, right? Yeah. So bigs are the stars right now. And I mm -hmm. think if you look at the next five years in the NBA, it's going to be those three that are going to be the legit guy. Luca's Luca's going to be there. I think he's going to be in the mix. Maybe if you look at the end of the five years, you're going to have a guy, maybe like a Cade or something could get into the mix, Right. Um, but right now it really is run by bigs. And so you're going to, one thing that you might see happen um, that hasn't happened for a long time is that man defense for bigs might become more valuable. Mm -hmm. And just having a guy who can handle bigs might become more valuable in a way that it hasn't for a long time. Right? It used to be the case that you cared a lot. Who can guard Shaq? Who can guard Yao? Who can guard uh, Olajuwon or whatever, right? Kareem. Um, cause bigs used to be a lot, get a lot more post attempts and ISO attempts, that sort of thing. Um, and we had a long change, but now bigs are getting those again. You have Jokic, you have Embiid and you have, um, Giannis and there's different sorts of styles between them. Um, and really you have another tier too, with like a and bam and AD who are all also bigs who are, you know, um, really good. 
um, that you have to take into account. So one sort of hypothesis is that um, especially playoff teams are going to start looking for bigs um, who can handle those guys, right? Um, and bigs just in general will become a little bit more valuable. That's a, that's a sort of hypothesis for the next five years or something like that. We'll see what happens. Um, but okay, so if you think that's true and you think then correspondingly wings get a little bit devalued because there's a salary cap, so it's a zero-sum game, um, I think wings are still going to retain value because they are interchangeable in a certain sort of way. So they're really important for um, team building. Uh, Alex, you were making this point earlier, right? With RJ, you can play him at the two, the three, or the four. That's mm-hmm. super valuable for team building because when you're going into the draft, you don't have to be like, oh, we have to get a three, or we have to get a two, or we have to get a four. You can get any of those because RJ can go next to any of them, right? Um, that's a super valuable thing uh, for both the draft and free agency. Um, so I think they're going to still retain value. Um, uh, but uh, so that's a sort of general argument. And then, okay, so let's get a little bit more fine-grained. Um, there is a glimpse. There's a vision of like a, so again, I, was use, I like to use comps, um, of like a bargain bin and don't, you know, I will see what your faces look like when I say this. But bargain bin, bam, out of bio um, in Sims, okay? So I see him on the perimeter, and I see a guy who's really sound and disciplined. He moves his feet really well, and he never, almost never goes up for fakes from point guards, from shooting guards, whatever. Um, I thought he was the best defender. It was very short stints, but we had the game against Brooklyn. I thought he was like one of the best defenders we had that ended up on KD for any period of time, yeah. right? Like he played him really disciplined. He moved his feet well, um, but he can do that for smaller guards too. He's really good on the perimeter. Um, as a blitz defender, really good. Switch defender, really good. Um, offensively. Now, in drop, he's, I think, a little sketchy still. He's got some some learning to do there. Um, but that's pretty common for young bigs. And he's, you know, a end of uh, end of draft, first-year big. So you're going to expect, you know, some, some growing pains. But then on offensively, where are his strengths? His strengths are he's an incredibly intuitive screener and an awesome screener and, like, a force as a screener. And that's a huge part of... Um, Bam Adebayo's value is his ability to spring guys like Harrow and Duncan Robinson. Um, and it's not just that he's a good screener, but he's intuitive about it. So he has great feel, both for the direction of the screen, when to set it, and how to set it. So you often see this thing with Mitch where he just, like, he doesn't get high enough. Or he gets to the place where, you know, the initial screen should be set, but he doesn't flip the direction of the screen. Or he doesn't, right, there's just all these issues with Mitch and his feel um, when it comes to screening, but Sims doesn't have those. He's a rookie, and he's out there with just like amazing feel when he's setting screens. Um, and then we've also seen some passing flashes. So you have this guy who could be like a really versatile big. I don't see him being such that he could be played off the court if he bulks up a little bit and is strong enough, becomes a little stronger, right? If he can bulk up a little bit and become a little bit stronger, um, and can like be a decent semblance of, I mean, like, uh, uh, you know, he, whatever, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but if he can do that and then also be able to play in an aggressive sort of, like, I don't think right now, I don't see very high hopes for him being a drop defender ever just because, um, his rim protection is solely predicated on his vertical because his wingspan is so short and he's not tall enough. Um, so I think there's like a real issue there, but if you have him play blitz, which is again, where this bam comp comes from, cause that's what bam primarily plays is, blitzing and switching right um if you have him do those sorts of things 
there's that sort of a guy there. Maybe. We'll see. It's early on. But I've seen the flashes. And I think that's a really valuable player. Um, and maybe replacing that is harder than replacing a very good 3 and D player. So one way of thinking of that is if you really think that's his, his like he can get there, then like uh, what's a replacement level player at big? Maybe like JaVel McGee or something like that, right? Um, is JaVel McGee further apart from that realized version of Sims than like maybe Jay Crowder is from the realized version of Grimes? And I go, maybe, maybe it's easier to find the like, Jay Crowder can do the sort of semblance of the 3 and D thing than it is to find the guy who can, who's really that big and had, can handle himself on the perimeter um, uh, and still do the, the requisite stuff on offense. I, again, like I said, I think there's room for disagreement in this range. I'm not wedded to that, and I can totally hear the argument for Grimes. Um, I'm very much not confident in this take. But that was like the, the long-winded way of trying to provide yeah. a reasonable defense of it. Well, I actually don't think I have too much more to add to that, to be honest, in terms. I will just say, I don't know what you want Sims to look like. You want him to look like Hulk Hogan out there, man. If you think he needs to put bulk on, I think Sims is huge. Like, <laughs> I, I think that, I think that, uh, I, I don't think he needs to put too much on, to be honest. I think, I think he's very well sculpted to be an NBA center already. Now, of course, Lakes. you're. Leg strength. Yeah, he's going to lower body. Like yeah. Embiid or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. He's still, even in the legs, I, I think he holds up pretty – I think it's going to be just sort of learning how to use his body better, more so yeah. than needing to put on more strength. You see like a reticence sometimes. Like, like I think I think part of his issues in drop is like he's sometimes not aggressive enough, and it's a shame because his verticality is so good. But yeah, Alex, Alex go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe though yeah, – I think Dallas, I think you made a really good case for, for the potential of Sims. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it for this episode with Dallas. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this part two. We hope if somehow you missed it, you enjoyed this part one or that part one, rather. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our, our three-part episode with Schwinn earlier in the week. We're, we're, just, we're just knocking out uh, insanely long podcasts for you guys. And that being said, we will have a third part with Dallas coming up tomorrow uh, where Alex and I give our fourth-ranked player. We debate Mitchell Robinson versus Jericho Sims a little bit. There's some good Quentin Grimes talk. We slip in some Cam Reddish stuff at the end. A whole lot of good stuff covered. And at this point, you already know Dallas. Just flat out one of the best guys talking about the Knicks, thinking about the Knicks. Um, and he has some good takes in that final episode. So until next time, be good. Peace out. We'll talk to you soon.